Hello, my name's Ian Forth and welcome to Sombrero Fallout, where we listen to alternative music through the filter of intriguing themes. If for any reason you've uh, ended up here as your first port of call, as it says at the start of motorways, stop, go back, unless of course you're travelling in the correct lane, because this is Pinko Fowler interview part two. Go back and listen to part one, it's my strong recommendation. On the other hand, this is a standalone episode as well, so you could listen to them in reverse order if you so wished. And in this episode, we're going to be hearing some marvellous detail from Pinko's life in music and videography, how he founded the world's best independent TV show for music in the late 80s, Snub TV, how he shot videos for uh, The Cure and went on tour with them in South America, how he shot videos for The Fall, dubbed by Steve Hanley, The Fall's legendary bass player, having shot both the worst and the best four videos of all time. And as a piece de resistance, the time that Pinko and his crew travelled to Aspen, Colorado, and having been led on a wild goose chase by Hunter S. Thompson, stayed up all night with him and ending up shooting up shooting rifles at Eagle Glen Frey's house across the valley. Have I whetted your appetite? I would have thought so. Let's get stuck back into our interview with Pinko Fowler. Uh, well, I think we'll go to Sonic Youth next. Always um, a good idea. Yeah, a band I absolutely adore and um, have followed pretty much from the very, very early days uh, when I think their first album was only available initially as a German import. Uh, the, yeah. the, um Confusion is Sex and uh, Sonic Death. Uh, and went on to film live and um, became good mates with them. And, and I just think they're a band that really were musical fans. They really created a deep sound. They inspired a lot of people. And they were always so generous with their time they gave to other people. They were always promoting other other bands. They, they brought back, they brought Buffalo Service to the attention of British rugby, and famously Nirvana, you know, that was their endless fandom. Um, I, I remember when the early days came over, I drove them on a very short English tour because no one else was around and they borrowed a van and I said I'd drive it. And every town you went to, they went into record shops and were pulling out vinyls and wanted to know who this band were, who this were. They're just genuinely musical fans, all of yeah. them. Yeah, you got the sense that they were fans of bands that you can't even find on the internet now. They were uh, they were kind of like micro, yeah. Bands, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Thurston's cassette collection in those days was phenomenal. So yeah, the Sonic Youth, you know, they were just fans and and loved music. And and I just remember um, they were booked to do this John Peel session, the BBC, um, and. You know, they could have gone and played their latest material um, 
or whatever. But they decided to do four fall songs. And they were round at my flat. And, um, you know, I had obviously quite extensive full collection of records. So they were going through going, and basically, what could they learn in the two hours they had between the cab arriving and the next cab, you know, taking them off to the BBC. So they, they chose the four songs and they did them. And I love them. And I, I think they're great. And you and I both on probably similar full fan websites. And yeah, Marky Smith, you know, no, yeah, he hated Sonic Youth, so he said. Oh, he's so, so, so he's Yeah, sick. I know. But and so half the people on these fan sites go along with what he says. But who cares? I think they were great and fun. And, um, and they, yeah, they did a good job, and it just it just shows that they're not proud, and that they, they mm. just love you know music and all that sort of stuff. So one of the one of the tracks on that full session is a cover of a cover. It's Victoria by the Kinks, which the full covered, and then Sonic Youth covered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm sure they're aware of that, but I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's a pretty big song, so you know. yeah. Oh well, look, that's uh, that's great. And look, I'm, I'm, I hope that they cleaned up after them. I hope they clean the spare room up after. Steve Shelley takes the shallowest baths known to anybody. He was said, "I'm like a little bird. I just flap around in the water." So you know, there were no problems. He seems like the most unlikely drummer of the kind of greatest art rock band from New York. He seems such an uh, unassuming fella. Maybe, maybe in real life, he's an absolute animal. I don't know. Well, the band he was in prior to, to Sonic Youth was the Crucifix. So, you know, <laughs> that's even less likely of think. But he's such a good drummer, though. Yeah, he's an he amazing did, drummer. You know, he did turn around the Sonic Youth sound after Bob, but who was great, yeah. left. Um, and, he, and he's so busy. Like he's, everybody in Sonic Youth's got done their something. He's played on all their records. He plays on about 20 other bands' records. He, he runs a record label. He just kind of oversees the Sonic Youth catalogue and the reissues. He's just a, a phenomenal source of knowledge and enthusiasm. And, and you know, he just sort of keeps his head above water and just does it all. And it, it all seems so effortless to him. Yeah. And, what, and again, one of the nicest people you could meet. You know, he's oh, just brilliant. a lovely guy. What did, yeah. you, what did you cook for Sonic You You cooked Mexican food for the Pixies. Can you remember what well, you Well, Sonic Youth were there for quite a while, so they had whatever. After day one, they didn't get the favourable tea. For <laughs> it was pasta and pasta, and that was it. No. Yeah. Well, this, this beats Dave Haslam into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Really? That's yeah. Okay, so we're going to hear, we're going to hear from, um, blah, 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 blah. would have been Daydream Nation, we're going to hear Silver Rocket.
that was Silver Rocket from the album Daydream Nation from 1988. Um, Pitchfork's album of the decade, I believe, Daydream Nation. Mm -hmm. And that was, of course, Sonic Youth. Um, our co-host, if I can put it that way, is just having a glass of water to refresh himself. <laughs> the final Thank furlong. Um, here we go, Pinko. Take us on the next step of your journey. Right, well, Sonic Youth, as I said, were always big bands and promoters of other bands. And one of the bands they pushed uh, was Big Black, uh, Steve Albini's band, and got them signed to Blast First uh, in the UK and um, filmed them, as I mentioned, and everything. And, and Big Black, again, were another band that just had such a, a different sound. Um, and it doesn't need a lot of talking about, but I just think this is a track that everyone should hear. It's called Passing Complexion, and um, you should hear it right now. Let's hear it.
passing complexion uh, from Big Black from their album Atomizer. Uh, they have other albums available, some of which have got slightly more gratuitously offensive titles than that one, but you can always look those up. I expect some of you will be familiar. I think we're going to move on now in uh, Pinko's journey to someone perhaps who we've both met. Is this Robert Smith coming up next, Pinko? Yes, it is. Yes, the only, and I have the only pop star that I've you you have met every alternative indie star in the universe. I conversely uh, have to make do with my half hour's conversation with Robert Smith from uh, 1980. But you know, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and did you find him to be a nice, charming man? Absolutely charming. But he was pre-fame. I God knows what you know what fame did to him later. What we're going to hear next. Um, well, shall we go into... Um, well, we can either, do you want to do Deus next, or do you want to do um, Serge Gainsbourg next? Or? Okay, let's go Serge. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so, again, it's a, another break from your sort of indie thing. I mean, a lot of bands have mentioned Serge Gainsbourg, and I think, um, as you are saying earlier on, uh, France didn't just have Johnny Alliday. I know we might pretend they did. But they did have Serge Gainsbourg, but they had Marion Faithful and they had Brittany Bardot as well, who all released good records. But um, I, 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 I think um, Serge uh, produced a catalogue of great stuff, some awful stuff as well, but um, some great stuff. And um, this one uh, with. Uh, Charlotte, I think, is is just uh, quite a a risque one. I mean, the, the title itself would probably it would never get released these days. It's called Lemon Incest, um, and her vocals on it are so fragile and so sort of uh, broken. It, it's quite a unique sound, and it's just a record I love. I, I know Mick Harvey from Birthday Party, Bad Seeds has um, has done a couple of albums as tributes to Serge uh, on on mute, but. Um, yeah, I just think it just takes off in another tangent and it, it, it's, it's very good. And uh, this is one of my favourite songs. Thank you. 
Provocatively titled Lemon Incest from Surgeon Charlotte Gainsbourg. Uh, thank you for that, Pinko. Um, we were going to, we, we, we said we were going to talk about 
Robert Smith last time round. Now we genuinely are going to talk about Robert Smith this oh, time. Oh, right. Yeah, we did get off the, off the point, didn't we? <laughs> and then I got the call to say, look, um, do you want to come to Rio de Janeiro of the band and Sao Paulo and sort of film this tour? Which, of course, I had to think about, you know, twice so we we went over it was i think it was rock in rio was the big festival there it was like page and plant smashing pumpkins and whatever um and it was just a, 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 that led into them they were getting a lot of awards that year getting the brits i think and and Something. So it was like you'd film for a month, you'd have a few weeks off, and then we'd go and do a Thames a trip on a boat on the Thames and film that. Then they were doing some MTV awards, you went and do some stuff there, and then they did Wembley where they played this award thing. So I wasn't filming concert concert, it was just handheld documentary stuff. But it was um it was such a such a trip, such a fun year, basically. Yeah. yeah. They were so so generous, so there was no band and you it was like you were with each other all the time yeah, and, yeah so i'm uh, someone once described the the cure as sort of pop 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 stars and pop plumbers they're really yeah. down to earth guys is that it right? there, i think you could have passed off as as yeah a team of plumbers coming in but you're staying in these five-star hotels on Copacabana beach you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was yeah, it was. I mean, it was sort of you know party every night, and um, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Yeah, it was. It was great fun. They would. It was just. It, it was like one of those bands where you think you've known them all your life, which in, in a source for small way you had, but not. Yeah. And um, you know when you get back to Heathrow and you're saying goodbyes, it's tears and you know it was. Uh, they're, they're just lovely group of people. So. And and just so, so down. Down with the band Simon Gallup was it Lol Tolhurst still with the band then? At the start, um, Lol was there and Boris, and then it went through the transition over to Paradise Filming to Jason coming in on drums. Yeah, and um, was it Paul Thompson? Paul had left when I started, no, I came back and played for a bit, and then went out again. I think to play play with Paige and Plant from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, okay. And so yeah, the band. Yeah, they haven't changed as many lineups as the four, but they have had quite a few, and they have gone for almost the same period of time, really, as well. Yeah, true. So, uh, and I mean, probably a little bit more successful than the four, but you know, yeah, but just, just very real people, very decent, lovely, generous people. Um, and it was a great, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's see what, no, let's see one of their. Uh, let's see one of their early tracks. What, what, we, what me and Pink have decided. We're going to leave it to me to play one of a, a mystery track. It'll probably be from probably seventy nine or eighty or maybe eighty one. Um, yeah, so let's, let's I mean, they, they did do an extraordinary amount of fantastic singles. They did extraordinary. Yeah. Let's hear one of them now.
Okay, so that was the uh, the mystery track, which I will identify subsequently from the cure. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so, so I didn't even count us back in there. Sorry, Pinko. You, I, I hope I haven't thrown you. Oh, that's fine. That's You're fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so after that, um, he, I can't remember the year. I think it was probably eighty-seven. Oh, um, I I got to work with the KLF, who were a band I. I loved that. I did love all, all their stuff. I mean, pretty much everything they did. And I, I kind of got to know Jimmy and Bill a bit. Um, and they were doing this Fuck the Millennium gig at the Barbican in London several years before the Millennium. But I think they were already pissed off about it, like most people were several years before. And they put on this 23 minute concert, which featured. Um, Jeremy Della and the Acid Brass Band and some, I think, some Welsh minor choir and and so, but they wouldn't tell me what was going to happen, and I was like, but we're hiring like, you know, eight cameramen and, and <laughs> expensive sound gear and blah blah. It would be good to know what's happening on stage, and they're like, no, we're not going to tell you. So I'd set the cameras up and everything and just hope we could capture it. And they ended up coming on stage in wheelchairs uh, with a dead swan and whizzing around the stage and doing this stuff. And then bit by bit, things would happen. So it's complete chaos. It, you can see it on YouTube. Mm. And, um, worth seeing. They didn't burn a million pounds that night. And this was after burning the million pounds, and this was after machine gunning the crowd at the uh, the Brits Award and um, throwing the dead sheep at the door stuff. Um, but they were, you know, always full of these sort of things. And later, when I went to work at V Two, which was um, a label that Richard Branson set up uh, after Virgin, I I really wanted them to get signed by V2. And if you read um, Paul Drummond's books, it's like people only wanted us if they could have the three letters KLF and we weren't really interested in doing music anymore, which I appreciate. But they came in and it was one of the best sort of business meetings because I had the uh, head of A&R and businessman in the meeting and they're like, all he wanted to hear was singles, singles, singles. And all they were saying was, we want to build a hill this massive loudspeaker underneath it and charge people tuppence to go through the gate and stand on the hill and hear the vibrations. And you could see them going, yep, um, next idea. Well, we've got this small island off of Scotland. We want to build absolute professional quality two-lane motorway on it that goes from nowhere to nowhere with a petrol station that's manned 24 hours a day, fully functioning either side of this. And that was that idea. That was, yeah. any, others, then, any other ideas you've got? Yeah, yeah. But they had quite a few ideas. I could just see the executives moving away from the table again, but the hit single is. And uh, I, I'm sadly to say, um, no one was snapping these ideas up. It's incredible, it was really. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I want, want... yeah, okay. Well, there's another band then um, uh, uh, that I absolutely love, and I think they're really, really uh, underappreciated. Uh, they're from Antwerp in Belgium, and they're called Deus. So I did a video with them via VIA, um, and we both did a 
I did a cut, they did a cut, so you choose which one you like online somewhere. But um, no, they're, they're, they're really good and, and they're still going strong. So uh, we're right. getting the lineup change and I think there's a new album coming, coming soon. But um, yeah, Deus. Here they come.
what, what's the final track we're going to hear? It's um... right. Well, we'll go out with obviously the fall, and it's a. I, I, I went through hours and hours of what to choose, and I've decided to go with one which is not, again, in a way, a typical fall tune. It doesn't actually have a lot of Marky Smith on it. He's almost just doing the sort of comeback vocals on it, bricks. Um, I was lucky enough to see them. No, I don't think they did perform this. I went to at this period at the Harrison Smith Town Hall, I think it was. And I think I was shouting out for this track. I don't think they actually did it. But it, yeah, it's just one of those odd four tracks, but I really, really like it. And you probably won't hear it anywhere else anyway. So here's a reason for doing it is Hotel Bludel.
Hello, interfering podcast owner here. That's Ian Forth. What I'd just like to point out is that that's the end of the music from my interview with Pinko, but do not tune out unless the only thing that you're interested in life is music, in which case, okay, I get it. But we've got uh, another 20 minutes in which we talk about uh, the fall, shooting the fall, Marquis drinking beer with Marquis Smith, Steve Hanley's verdict on Pinko's full videos. And you will not want to miss Pinko's escapades in Aspen, Colorado with Hunter S. Thompson. So let's get back into those uh, interviews and I'll see you at the end of the show. Hardly, yeah. and, um, Hardly appear at all on Sombrero Fallout, it's fair to say. No, I, I nor did they on Snub, only every single series. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it's like a drug really, isn't it? It's, it I, I mean, I do love this band and have done since the, the, the first record, which was their first record I ever bought and a problem on ever since. Um, went to see them as often as I could. Uh, and uh, when I worked at Rough Trade, it was one of the periods where they were back on Rough Trade. They'd been on Rough Trade, they'd left Rough Trade, they'd come back on, and they'd released um, Perverted by Language um, when I was there. Uh, Slates had been out beforehand, both in my top five of albums, if you can call Slates an album. Um, A perennial the, debate. Sorry? A perennial debate. Yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, it's... it's Six or seven tracks, is it? Yeah, six tracks. Many albums seem to have disappeared from the language, but there was always a mini album option. But um, yeah, they refused to come into Rough Trade at that period, unfortunately, because they kind of, I think, they fell out with Jeff, Travis, and whatever. But um, I still love them, and I, everybody at Rough Trade still loved them. So they were great. Um, uh, and then when I went on to make Snub, obviously, it was an opportunity to have them on every time and get to make a video for a track. We did um, Deadbeat Descendant in a recording studio in Rochdale, I think. And I thought it was just gonna be the band playing, but Bricks had arranged for a dancer to come up from Michael Clark's dance troupe and dance. And just a look on the guys in the band's face, there's <laughs> this is woman ballet dancing around the mixing desk. It was just such an odd yeah. thing. And Mark, of course, keeps a dead straight face, like, yeah, this is exactly what's meant to be going on. Yeah. No, I've, I've, that, that, that video is very much still uh, available. I remember seeing it on YouTube quite recently. I think it was shot in Cargo Studios in Rochdale, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. went up there, did that. Um, and um, I did the video for Bill is Dead, which was somewhere on the outskirts of you know, northern England. Um, and the way it works is you go, you arrange to meet the band at a certain time at a certain place. So we turn up, uh, Snub was low budget, so there was only ever three of us usually. Um, I'd often be cameraman, director, and there'd be the producer who was also <laughs> the interviewer, and there'd be somebody else carrying boxes and pushing dollies and stuff. And so Mark would be like, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, brought some circular track. I thought we could do something in a circle thing. All right. Let's go to the pub. And so we'd go to the pub, but he'd never invite the rest of the band along. They'd always have to stay back. So me and him would go to the pub, sink two or three pints, talk about something nothing to do with music or the video or, or the track or anything. Come back very relaxed. And then I go, well, let's just, 
I'll push the camera around in a circle. We'll put the band in the middle of it, and you just follow the camera and sing into it. And um, unfortunately, there's not a good quality copy of it online. And I've, again, lost my master copy. The record company does have a master copy, which would be very good quality, which someone should get and upload. Yes, they should. Added the bit of going, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go to the bathroom and wash my hands beforehand and then walk in. So, so go in with the camera on my shoulder and we do all that. And I, it, it just works so well with the song. It, it, it's a very unfull like song in a way. Yeah, it is. But, it, you know, uh, but it works so well. And um, I mean, if you look carefully, the studio, it was record, it wasn't, it was, I think it was just a rehearsal and had mirror on one where you can see the camera going around. And, um, and it was great. I was so happy with it. Uh, later on, another year or so later, I did the video um, with them for uh, Free Range, which is a great track. Um, we did it. I had in my mind he was like a German tank commander, which isn't far from the truth. Of so we got this old Land Rover on the back of a flatbed truck and had the band all in the back and him standing at the up in the windscreen singing you know free ranger driving around london um the cameraman i actually got a different camera there's a guy called mick duffield who was a member of crass at the time which is a, a weird musical crossover um anyway i went to edit it in soho on one sunday afternoon by myself and mark just turned up unannounced and came in and said right we're going to the pub so went to the pub and just sat there, the two of us, and um, I'm kind of going, I wish someone would walk in and just see me having a beer with <laughs> No one does. And uh, probably wouldn't be in, interested or impressed if they did. But he was just such a funny bloke. I was in stitches. Yeah. All the, what I remember is like hardly getting a word out, just, you know, really funny. Um, I think so people look at that, that they say, uh, go on about all the firing the band members. That seems to be the first thing people say and how irascible he was. But there is another way of, there is an, a, another interpretation of him. A, incredibly intelligent. B, incredible yeah. body of music. But B, a lot of people say he just, has, as you say, has us in stitches all the time. Yeah. Really funny guy. Well, Steve and Paul Hanley have got their own full we have. Over podcast. The podcast and, yeah. and, and that, again, is full of people coming on going, how great. Mark was, you know, so, but yeah, so anyway, so I did this, and I was quite proud of the video, and then a few months later, I was at some weird BBC in Norwich, and I don't know why I was there, but Steve Hanley came up to me, but oh, Pinko, the director who made our best ever video, and I was like, oh, thanks, and our worst, I was like, why, because free range was shit, and I was like, what are you talking about, He's like, and I've seen a lot of four videos that are. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, quite proud to have the honour of making their best and their worst. But um, they repeated that recently on their podcast. So there you go. But um, I don't no, think I've ever was, seen the free range. I'm, I'm familiar with the Billy's Dead video, but I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the free range one. Is it out there? Yeah, it is. I, okay. I checked before I came on because I had to check the title, whether it was one or right. two words. Um, but yeah, it was a freezing cold day driving around London with them. And I remember we picked them up from a hotel off Tottenham Court Road about eight in the morning, and each of them had their own hip flask with a different alcoholic drink in it. So there was brandy here, vodka here, whiskey there. Yeah, right. I, I can understand for the guys, the man, they're just sitting in the band shivering while Mark's sort of bleating around and then, you know, shouting stuff. Mm. But it was funny. And it, 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 
he was charming and pleasant and you know yeah well, I know it doesn't go with the script of what you know music press say, I think it does go I think yeah well don't get me started but um <laughs> I mean you you know you, you call it as you see it and that, that that does seem a reasonably common sort of report yeah. reportage of what it was like to deal with him obviously some people had terrible experiences but I suspect that a lot of it was just um you know cooked up yeah for- we, we interview him each time we filmed him uh, for snub and although I hated it you know when programs they do it in the radio where it's like hi so-and-so here, listen to Triple X Radio, and they get them to do the stings. We, we never ended that. But Mark started in and going, hi, Marky Smith, Snub TV, better than the Beatles. And it's like, you start doing, reading up these things. It's like, it, I think we included one just because it was funny. But, it, <laughs> it, you know, you, you could always go on for a drink with him. There was no issue about that. Unfortunately, sometimes I had to go and do an interview with some another band, so we couldn't. But yeah, I, I, I'd work with him probably four or five times on different occasions. Every time was an absolute joy, both creatively and just as a, you know, a, a fun human thing to be involved in. It was just yeah. joy. And obviously he was you know, a huge hero. And people say, don't meet your heroes, but I've, I've met quite a lot of mine and they've all actually turned out to be quite lovely people. Well, that's been the common theme of, of our, our chat tonight and it's uh, very gratifying um, to hear it we've we've loved hearing these anecdotes you did it free. please do tell us a bit more about snub because i'm sure there's going to be some people out there who do remember as i do that uh, late 1980s 1989 1980s alternative channel 4 on in the uk program with a great deal of effect <laughs> Well, yeah, it was the BBC, not Channel 4. We oh, were in negotiations yeah. with Channel 4, who were offering about five times the amount of money that the BBC did. But they sat in their asses for too long. And um, BBC were like, we're ready to go next week. And that was the kind of, you know, yeah. we were. Let's go next week. So we went with the BBC. Uh, what happened was we did a, a, a series on American TV first. Um, uh, went out on a cable network called USA Cable, which was the biggest cable network in America and um and it did really well there they got there we never went to America and make it clear we weren't living this sort of jet set lifestyle it was all made in wood green in North London um but we get the film bands like Pussy Galore and whatever and, and it was good fun um but it got great press in the UK so the Observer the Guardian the Times time out people right out. so Janice Reporter who was this media figure that some people would know Oh, yeah. um, was running youth TV at the BBC. He was phoned up um, one afternoon. I thought it was a friend taking the piss, and I was going, "Oh, come on, fuck off, Jacko! Stop pretending you're Janet's recording." He's like, "No, I really am Janet's recording." Anyway, long story short, we went in to see her the following week, and we were sort of on air about a month later. And um, it ran for three years on the BBC—not three years constantly, but for sort of mm. three months every year for three years. And it was great because the BBC had no control over us. They had no interest in us. As long as we delivered a tape to the front door of the television <laughs> centre by about two o'clock on a Monday afternoon, they were, they were quite happy. Um, so we've got to film basically all my favourite bands. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, someone else was footing the bill. So it was Sonic Youth and it was, um, you know, Pixies and it was... Um, uh, 
My bloody shout. Valentine. My bloody Valentine, the battle servers, the Mary Chain, yeah. Happy Mondays, the Cramps, one of my favourite ones was Cramps, um, Dinosaur Junior, Cocteau Twins, um, New Order, you know, Bim Sherman, Lush, Breeders, Josh Shacker, even Napalm Death. Um, Napalm Death, uh, that, that was from the time when they were recording like four second songs, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they did a one-second song, I think. <laughs> I, I, they, they played, I think we filmed them at Yulu, which was University of London, and yeah. uh, 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 supported by Extreme Noise Terror oh, and a band called Shit. We, we didn't capture Shit, unfortunately, but we did get ENT and them. Um, yeah, so it's great. So you had a half hour a week to fill with, you know, basically all the people I'd been moaning about never being allowed to be on TV. So yeah. it, it was... It was it was fantastic. Um, and so... I mean, some I, people would still regard that as the greatest alternative music show that's ever been on TV, certainly in the UK. I can't speak for every other country. No, we, I think we, 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 we went to one of those, you know, can TV things where you go down to the south of France and try and sell your wares to Belgian TV and um, stuff. I think we gave a tape to somebody from Russian TV and it got, we never got a penny from it because he just literally broadcast it. And, stole it. Yeah, stole it, basically. Mm. I think we did get on Belgian TV. I think we got on Portuguese TV. It was, it was the most random sort of places <laughs> that, that bought it, but yeah. it wasn't like, um, you know, Canada's taking it and Germany's taking it. it it's Liechtenstein and Vatican City. <laughs> I've got it, that's it, you know. But um, it was it was it was a great three years of, of filming stuff. Um, one of the best uh, trips we had was um, we went to America in the downtime between one series and another to film a whole load of, of bands: um, uh, Big Stick, Sonic Youth, Henry Rollins, Pixies, um, Barrel Surfers, uh, in various places around America, and. Um, I think we'd set out to try and get something with William Burroughs, but he was very, very sick at the time because he had a lot of links with these band, bands, yeah. pop culture. Stuff. And at the last minute, and I don't remember how, but someone sort of said, do you want to film Hunter S. Thompson? <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. I do. Thompson. I said, well, you have to go to Aspen and um, he can be a bit awkward and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah. But I had no preparation for Hunter S. Thompson or interviews or anything. So we made a call to Steve Albini, who at this point was a bit of a friend, and I thought he'd be quite a good person to interview Hunter S. Thompson. So we met in Denver, flew in this tiny little aeroplane up to Aspen and the ski resort of millionaires. Um, and Hunter had said, oh, yeah, check in. I'll meet you at this bar. So we go, and you've got to understand, in those days, Cameras were quite big and like 10 metal flight cases. Yeah, you big everywhere you went. So we went, um, Joanne, my partner, she was the sound recordist on this. Steve Albini was going to do the interviewing. Myself, uh, a, another guy called Richard, who was like the engineer, and I was cameraman and director. And, uh, went into this bar, waited about an hour, had a couple of beers. Hunter didn't turn up. Someone said they thought they saw Hunter leave the bar. <laughs> And we made a phone call going, we're in the right bar and everything like, oh no, Hunters just go to this bar. And I'm like, okay, so we let's go. And it's snow and it's the only taxis are like massive cheap. Put our gear in and have it. Go to the next bar. 
and this same thing happened again. We waited half an hour, we have a couple of beers, and someone else went, no, I think I just saw Hunter leave at that, that. And so what turned out was he was checking us out and getting us drunk at the same time. So the last message was go to the um, Woody Creek Tavern, which was his local, yeah. which is much further up the valley. Went in there, back here. Again, we're drinking, and all these locals are going, why are you here, you, you know, liners? Well, we're here to film Hunter. Someone's going, why do you want to waste your time filming that idiot? He's a fucking pain in the ass. And they're sort of bagging him. And so put the phone call in to his house. Look, if you're pissing us around, good game. But, you know, we're going to go home now, sort of thing. You don't fucking know me. Anyway, guy turns up in a truck, picks us up, takes us up to Hunter's house. And, um, of course, we get, he goes, oh, you should have been here half an hour. Jack was here. And we're like, Jack, who, <laughs> of course, it was Jack Nicholson, you know. It's like, of course it was. Yeah. And so, anyway, we sit down, and um, the first thing he does is, Joanne, who you briefly met on video, she's I not did. a large person, but he said, before I interview you, she has to come out here and drink a pineapple full of tequila. Otherwise, the interview's off. So Joe goes to the kitchen, and he, I, last I saw before the door shut was him slicing with machete the top of this pineapple, gutting it, pouring it, and, you know, Good on her. She downed it. And so the interview was on. Took one for the team. Yeah, well, and we were there for about 14 hours all night long um, with handguns, with live ammunition. And it was Hunter's birthday, I think the day before or the day after, because he just got this pistol, which was the biggest handgun with Hunter S. Thompson engraved into the barrel. And... Um, He'd also, I don't know if you can broadcast this bit, but he, he got Please a do. piece of cocaine the size of a large pebble, yes. which he put into a grinding machine and did this. Uh, Steve Albini, of course, was, no, 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 I don't do that. But we're, we're weaker people, so, you know. We got, after doing these massive lines of really strong cocaine, he all gave us all a loaded handgun with tracer bullets in, which are the ones that leave the red trail. And he said, right, come out on the balcony. Do any of you guys like the Eagles? And we're like, no, of course not. He goes, good, that's Glenn Fry's house over there. Come on. <laughs> and we just let off these live rounds of ammunition. This, I mean, we couldn't see the house. It might have been 10 miles away, but the yeah. idea of us shooting it uh, um, was great fun. And uh, so we did that. And and, uh, and that's quite, then he a came memorable, in, quite a memorable trip. <laughs> it was memorable. And he came in because, oh, if I'm being filmed, I need makeup. And he took Joe's sort of bits of makeup and just started some lipstick on himself and I like it just looked like a clown and but it, we just set up as you do in that situation just talking shit all night long and in the end we said look our plane leaves in an hour we have to go we yes. don't have money to rebook another flight and he's like oh no stay stay we can do another day of this stuff it's like oh god I want to but I, I, I can't it was and it yeah. was one of those moments and we also there was no use for the footage on snub because it wasn't that sort of we, we didn't use it we couldn't use it the south bank show is special but belvin bragg didn't want it and you know so it's sat on the shelf decomposing ever since but surely uh, surely if you still got the tape well i've got some of them and that's yeah. another thing every time you move house we seem to go down one tape no 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 the world, the world needs this. The world needs this documentary. If there's any documentary makers or producers, whoever out there listening to this, we that needs to see the light of day. But that's, that's, it's it was, a historically 
critically important artifact, I feel. And the same yeah. for all your Snub TV, uh, uh, Pinko. I was reading an article from two or three years ago indicating that um, you, you'd like to curate it and put it out there. But um, what, what's happened to the Snub TV stuff? Well, we, yeah, we did. I mean, I think on the 30th anniversary of the first series, uh, which would have been three years ago, 30 years ago, uh, the BBC were talking about this do a best of, which I was really into, but I, I didn't want to just do a cut down of bits. What I wanted to do was, was show, say, Dinosaur Junior, and then we'll interview them now yeah. and talk about that and maybe then shoot a new song and do the same with, say, 10 or, or 15 of the bands. Yeah. But that obviously requires more money than just sitting in an edit suite and cut, 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 cut. And they lost interest. Because um, I, I didn't just want to do 20 greatest hits. I mean, maybe I should have done, but, you know, we didn't. Um, since then, there's been various companies in, interested in doing a DVD, Blu-ray, and all the bands are 100% into it. All the record companies are 100% into it. It's, it's the publishers that have been going, well, we want money. And often what's happened is the publishing isn't even known by the people who own the publishing when we did the deal. So yeah, right. You go to Lush or, or um, Gabriel Voltaire and they go, yeah, yeah, we absolutely want to do it, but it's our publishers that own the rights to the music. And it's there is no money in that. I mean, it's going to cost five or six grand just to edit it together. And DVDs, you know, they just don't sell in that. No. You, know, you, you add in a couple of airfares to maybe do something, to refilm something, and you're looking at 20, 30 grand uh, to make something worthwhile, you're never going to make that money back. And if, if publishers start wanting, you know, thousands of dollars for each song, it's it's just, it's you just can't do it. No. On the other hand, what's going to happen to that footage? If there's anybody out there listening right now, and I know there might be, yeah, who, who, who want to sort of chip in, help out, then uh, I can very, you know, I'll be very happy to pass you on Pinko's details. Because I, I do feel that there's some incredibly important stuff that we... we yeah, there's need. a lot of good, good stuff there, definitely. Mm. Okay, the, uh, uh, and by the way, on the Hunter S. Thompson thing, there's, um, you're probably familiar with the full track, Midnight in Aspen, from the Full Heads Roll album. Yeah. Hunter S. Thompson firing off. I was just reminded <laughs> as you were talking, him firing off into the Colorado night from his balcony. Yeah, he's very proud of the peacocks he bred at the highest altitude that they've ever been bred at. They they sort of surrounded his sitting room, which was all sort of glass. But on that, there was peacocks literally the other side of his French windows and then a cage on the other side of them. But um, yeah, his backyard had quite a few broken, blown up Jeeps and things yeah. in it. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, oh, that's some uh, great anecdotage. Well, that has been absolutely marvellous. But uh, as I said, I think I said earlier, it feels like you've been at the epicentre of so many moments in musical history and you've met so many people. It's been wonderful to have had a snapshot of uh, just uh, your interpretation of meeting a few of our indie heroes. Yeah, well, it's just purely by accident of being in the right place at the right time. I mean, if you work at Rough Trade in the 80s, you're gonna know every indie band guy and you, and you get absolute fortune to make a program on national television where you can choose pretty much all your heroes. And yeah, it is an absolute blessing. But um, I've been very lucky and enjoyed quite a lot of it. So 
quite a lot of it. What are you up to these days? Um, no, well, you know, I was sort of waiting uh, invitations to film weddings and bar mitzvahs and that sort of stuff. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm still trying to get the uh, the, the, the snub catalogue out there somehow. Yeah, but, um, that'd be marvellous. Yeah. Well, I hope we get to meet each other in the flesh when um, everything calms down, either in Sydney or in Melbourne. That would be nice. It would be great, yeah. I, I think today uh, it's been extended another four weeks up here, yeah. lockdown, so it'll be probably the end of the year before we actually get to travel and stay. Yeah, we're we're crawling out of convalescence in um, in Melbourne right now. But um, you know, presumably when someone's listening to this in Kyrgyzstan in a few years' time, they wonder what we're talking about. So yeah, you know, when these things go out. Okay, Pinker, my my dinner's on the table. I dare say right. yours might be as well. And yep, and my class needs filling. So uh, <laughs> your class needs filling. Fantastic. Um, it'll be there's a little there's a little taxi queue before we get this one out, so it'll be in a few weeks. But uh, very much look forward to seeing you in the flesh and hearing you um, on the airwaves before too long. Thank you so much. Cheers, Ian. Thanks very much. Cheers, Binko. And um, regards to your lovely partner as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cheers for now, then. Okay. See ya. There's a bit at the start of Life of Brian where Terry Jones, as Brian's mother, has just received gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh from the three wise men. Rather confused, as she had no idea who they were or why they were giving a gift, she says, Well, weren't they nice? And the same could be said for Pinko Fowler. Wasn't he nice? And wasn't he interesting? More to the point. So many anecdotes and... Uh, operating zelig-like at the centre of that spider's web from the early days at Rough Trade, getting to know all those bands, shooting them, and uh, we could all have had a life like that if we'd been in the right place at the right time. Or could we? I think what actually happened was Binko made the most of his talents. And uh, congratulations to him on his career, and thank you so much for all those anecdotes. We are, as it happens, coming out of lockdown tomorrow and uh, everything's going to go bonkers and crazy in Melbourne, so that's nice. We'll be back again probably in a week or so. I just uh, ended up interviewing Pinko's Connection, Terry Edwards, which was a great interview last night, 12,000 miles apart, but that's the wonders of technology and that will be going out on there in a few weeks' time, maybe even sooner. All the podcasts are on sombrerofallout.com. Become a member, a friend of Sombrero Fallout on Facebook uh, if you're not already. I'll speak to you probably next week. Hope all is well in your world. All is pretty well okay in mine. Cheers for now. See you next time. <laughs>